in going over my notes before I came here tonight, trying to decipher what I wrote and figure out what it all means, uh, I realized that uh, some of the verses that we're doing tonight, we already did last time I was up here. But uh, a little review is good for everybody, right? So let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight, and we pray for your blessing tonight, Lord. Uh, we pray for your word. We pray that we would receive from you, from you alone, Lord, and that we would glory in you, Lord, we pray, and that your will be done in each one of our lives. We thank you, Lord, and pray uh, for your glory tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, the, the topic for tonight, and Lord willing, and pretty much everything that we're going to be talking about, is uh, the topic could be called building on the foundation. Uh, Paul is going to say that he laid the foundation, which is Christ, and to be careful how we build on that foundation. If a person is saved, if a person is born again, then that foundation has been laid, has been built. And that foundation is eternal, and it's stable, and it's always there. But then we build on that. You know, what happens to our lives and what happens in our lives after we're saved, after that foundation has been laid. Paul talks about building the foundation and how we build on it so that we don't end up with a lot of wood, hay, and stubble at the end that's very flammable, but that we build with those uh, with precious stones and gold and silver, those things that last, those things that are eternal. So tonight, Lord willing, we can talk about how do we do that? How do we build on the foundation that has been laid? The foundation, of course, is Christ and only Christ. That is the only, Paul is going to say, that is the only foundation that can be laid is Christ. And then we build on it. Uh, having that firm foundation is abiding in Christ. And building on that foundation is his word abiding in us. So if you would look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, start at verse 5, uh, Paul has come to Corinth and he's preached the word and a church has been established and started in Corinth. And the people there are forming cliques. There, there's a lot of strife. There's a lot of carnality. Uh, you've got different groups. This one says, I am of Paul. This one says, I am of Apollos. And, and they're bickering with each other. And there's a lot of carnality. And Paul is saying to them, if you know, you're still carnal, I, I would like to speak to you as spiritual people, but you're still carnal. Uh, because where there's envy and strife, there's carnality. And you're not going to grow. You're, you're just going to stay right where you are if you stay in this carnal state. And he says, who then is Paul and who is Apollos in verse 5? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So Paul came in and preached the gospel. Apollos came in and taught them. And you know they started growing in their knowledge of God. But it's God who gives the increase. And, but these cliques were forming. They were following men. And the last thing Paul wanted was for anyone to follow him or any man. He wanted them to be looking to Christ and Christ alone. Uh, they were inviting strife into the church. And, you know, it's kind of like our people, people love strife. It's kind of our nature to, to love strife. 
You know, we won't admit it, but it's like at work last week. There were so-and-so and so-and-so were having a hard time, and they were fighting, and someone uh, came up to me and said, did you hear that so-and-so, what they said to so-and-so? I said, what? What'd they say? What'd they say? You know, I love the strife, and it's natural. It's just, the, and in this case, in, in Corinth, it's just the pride of life that they wanted to think that they were special, that they were better than someone else. You know, I'm of Paul. These people over here, they're of Apollos. And the real spiritual ones were like, well, we're of Christ. You know, and the rest of you are nowhere. We're of Christ. Uh, so they had this strife going. In verse 7 it says, So then neither, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters. You know, who are we? We're just servants of God. We're just stewards of the mystery. We're not anything. It's God who gets the glory, and it's God who brings the, in, the, uh, the increase. We can't take credit for anything. We can't take credit for our salvation. We can't take credit for any work that God does in our lives. We can't take credit for any success in any ministry. It's God who brings the increase. If we're truly serving God, we won't be noticed, and God will get the glory. That's when you can tell that a ministry is truly serving God. If we can brag about something we've done, you know, I've known people who constantly tell, oh, you should see how the Lord's using me. If we can brag about how the Lord is using us, or if we can take credit for something that has been done, it's just wood, hay, and stubble, and it's going to burn. Uh, I was reading a book, and uh, there was a young preacher who wrote this book, and he was talking about his first time preaching. And he got up before the people and gave an altar call, and one person came up. And he was just so thrilled that, you know, something actually happened. You know, he gave this sermon, and it affected this person, and they came up, and they repented, and they received Christ. And he wrote, Lord, I thank thee that thou hast shown me this marvelous working, but though I was but an adoring spectator rather than an instrument. And that's the way it is. If the Lord really uses us, if the Lord has called us to do something, and it's done in and by the Spirit, and the Lord is using us, it's like we're not even there. You know, those are the best times. You know, if, if the Lord calls us to do something, and it's, you know, it's kind of scary, and we're, but we're obedient, and we do it, it's like the Lord could have used this rack. It's like we're not there. It's like we're a spectator, and the Lord does the work. In Ephesians, Paul writes, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. We are his workmanship. In Revelations, it talks about the 24 elders standing before the throne, and it says that they fall down before him who sits on the throne and they cast their crowns before the throne. They take their crowns off and they throw them before the throne. And they say, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. You know, the elders here, it's like they represent the church standing before the throne of God and they take off their crowns and they just throw them at the feet of Jesus on, on the throne. It's, it's like they go to heaven, and the Lord meets them and says, Well done, good and faithful servant. 
here is your crown, here's your reward, whatever that is. And they put on the crown, and it's joyful, and it's glorious, and they're being rewarded for their work. Uh, but then the realization of what we've always known to be true sets in, that any work accomplished or any faithfulness worthy of reward was just pure grace and mercy from the throne of God, that, that he did it all. I, I did nothing. I simply received from him. I simply received of his goodness in my life, and he used me. In Romans, Paul says, Therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. In the things that pertain to God, I'm only going to glory in the things which are in Christ. He says, For I will dare not speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed. And, you know, when you look at all the things that Paul did, and you think, man, this guy did everything. He, you know, he started churches, miracles happened, but he says, I, I'm not going to talk about anything that Christ has not accomplished through me. He knew it was Christ, that it was the Lord. And so that's our prayer, that Jesus will accomplish his desire and his will through us, in us and through us. And, and the question is, will it happen? Will Jesus accomplish his work in us and through us? Do we believe it'll happen? Or do we pray for these things and then doubt that it'll happen? Because we're looking at ourselves and our weaknesses and our inability. You know, do we pray and believe or do we pray and doubt? Do we truly want it? Uh, if we prayed for it, then the Bible says it will happen. And he says, but God gives the increase. You know, last time I was up here, we were talking about that word only, a very important word in the Bible, and it's repeated over and over again, only by the blood of Jesus, only by the Spirit of God, only through this or through that. Um, it has to be a work of the Spirit. Uh, you can show someone prophecies. You would think all the prophecies that are in the Bible that prove that it is the Word of God all the prophecies concerning Christ, showing Christ, and all the events in the future, you would think if you showed that to someone, they would believe. But I remember people showing me these things, and I was like, eh, so what? You know, unless God enlightens someone, that person doesn't come alive. You can write books, you can make evangelical movies, you can have evangelical carnivals and outreaches and everything else, but if God doesn't enlighten, that person is going to remain blind. It's God who gives the increase. In Matthew, it says, when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And that's our prayer. Lord, make us your servants. You know, I like what Pastor Dave said last Sunday. You know, we're called to stand out and not to hide out. You know, and, and that's my prayer because it's my tendency to hide out. You know, you pray for the power of the Spirit to stand out. And the Lord will give the increase, but he'll do it in his sovereign way in his time. One plants, one waters, but God gives the increase. And looking at this tonight, I was thinking about, I had this, friend of mine, his name was Dave. He's since gone home to be with the Lord, but we love this guy. We were in the same business together, and one day he showed up at our house and uh, never left. 
And, but he was the type of guy that you were always glad to see. And he would come over just about three times a week. And we'd sit and we'd share with him. Joanne and I would share and witness to him. We'd have other Christians over sharing. We even had Bible studies in the house, and he would be there listening to all this. And it was like nothing was happening. I mean, he was a great guy, but nothing was happening. And this went on for a long time. And then one night, he comes over and he says, uh, I got saved. I'm born again. And I thought, oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And he goes, yeah, he goes, my neighbor uh, was this really mean guy, real miserable, but he got saved, and he returned all the tools he took from me. And I thought, I've been witnessing to you for like a year, and this guy returns your tools and you get saved? You know, one plants, one waters, and, but God gives the increase in his sovereign way and in his time. It's all him. Verse 8, it says, Now he who plants and he who waters are one. The person who plants and the person who waters, they have the same heart, you know, as we should have, the same heart, the heart of Jesus, that none should perish. We should have that burden for the lost, uh, in a sense, that sorrow for the lost and, and praying for them. Somebody wrote, all who find Christ for themselves are impelled by the holy necessity of constraining love to seek the salvation of others. And, and that's the truth. We, we have that heart of the Lord that none should perish. You know, whether we share the gospel, the Lord opens doors, and we share the gospel, making, having relationships with people at work and in our neighborhoods. It's great when you, when you can establish a relationship with somebody and they know you're a Christian and they come up and ask you a question. You know, what a great open door that is. And, and praying for people, just constantly praying for people. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. Pray someone into the kingdom. Um, to love those around us with an unconditional, self-sacrificing, godly love. And Paul goes on, he says, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labels, labor. So there are rewards. There's a reward in serving Christ. I mean, what could be better than serving God, being a servant of God, and living your life for him, and, and just experiencing that every day? There's just that fellowship with him. The reward of casting our crowns before the throne and just totally and perfectly glorify, glorying in Christ. What a reward. And, and to experience the supernatural work of the living God working in us and through us every day. I mean, words can't describe what, how great that is. Uh, the reward of being able to glory in Christ alone. He says in verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. And last time um, we were speaking of this, that, that God has given each one of us a field to work in. You know, most of us have three fields, at least. We have a field of work, uh, home, and our neighborhoods. And God has given us those fields to work in. And in this information age, it's very easy to get distracted from the fields God has given us because we hear about everything that's going on in the world. And we hear about all the insanity that's taking place in government, uh, in, in our culture. And we hear about all this, and, and we get just overwhelmed with it, and we kind of forget about the specific fields that God has given us to work in. You know, outside of those fields, 
we, we can only watch and pray. But within those fields, we can work. And God can give eternal life to those who are in those fields. And he desires to use us to do that. He says, uh, according to the grace which was given to me. Uh, Paul would also say, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. You know, we look at the Apostle Paul and we marvel. He was such a great intellect. And he did so many works for the Lord. He was, people say he's the greatest of the apostles. Uh, we look at him, and yet he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's just by God's goodness that I am what I am. Colossians, Paul would say that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. If that foundation has been laid in our lives, the foundation of Christ, we have that desire to walk worthy of him and to please him in every way and in every day to please him. And the only way that we can really please God is to receive from him. That pleases God. Um, I've been reading a lot of, not a lot, a few books lately, and uh, I think I talked about this last time too, but on the revivals that took place in Scotland during the 1800s. And it's amazing because, you know, it's Scotland in the 1800s, and they're not a big population, but these revivals started happening like little fires all over the place. And you read about them, and it's just fantastic what the Lord did. You know, one man wrote in his diary, prayer meeting tonight, 500 attended. You know, 500 people attended a prayer meeting. And reading about these men, uh, I'm reading the diary of two of them, uh, men who were used by God during this revival. I mean, they loved the Lord, and the Lord used them in a great and mighty way through their preaching. And I'm thinking, well, you know, what, it was, what was it about these men that God was able to use them in that way, where there was a revival within the church, a revival in their hearts, a revival in the church, and then that spread throughout the whole country. And they had certain things in common, and we know what they are. Uh, they were people of prayer, number one. And every one of them in their writings couldn't stress enough the importance of prayer. It was like number one prayer. Uh, they were men of the word. They were constantly studying the word of God and getting into it and just eating it up. Uh, they knew and were dependent totally on grace and they had no confidence in the flesh. And that's the one thing that really stood out in reading these two men, their diaries. It's, it was, it's kind of fun to read their diary because you see their personal thoughts. It's not just a sermon that they're giving, but they're writing their true feelings and things that are going on in their lives. And you can tell by reading their writings that they had absolutely no confidence in the flesh. Paul said in Romans, there is no good thing in me, in my flesh. And we know that, that in our flesh, no good thing dwells. These guys, in reading their writings, they had a realization of that to the point where many of them had to deal with bouts of depression because they were just overwhelmed by their lack and their, and their, their inability and their, and their sinfulness. But they totally depended on grace, on God's goodness. For them, there was nothing but grace. One of them wrote, 
it is more humbling for us to take what grace offers than to bewail our wants and worthlessness. Uh, And Paul says, his grace towards me was not in vain. It had an effect in Paul's life. Paul received the grace of God, and it had a great effect, a great response in his life. He just, he loved people. He loved God, and he loved people. And this grace that God gave Paul accomplished what God intended. He said, but I labored more abundantly than they all. And he did. You look at Paul's travels and all the things that he did, the labors that he did, it was just abundant. You know, why? Because he experienced the grace of God in his life. Um, God has given us fields to work in, work, home, church, neighborhood. You know, and how does the work in our fields that God has given us become more effectual? If only if we grow in the grace of God. Only if we grow in the knowledge of God's grace and his goodness, then the roof blows off. He says, I worked more abundantly than all than them all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. I wasn't doing it, Paul said. It was the grace of God, the goodness of God, and the supply that God gives. I received it and it had an effect. In Hebrews, it says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And that's what we all want to do. If that foundation is laid and we're building on it, we want to serve God acceptably. We want to build with precious stones and gold and silver and not with wood, hay, and stubble. How do we serve God acceptably? How do we serve God at all, what is the only way that we can ever serve God? How is the work of God accomplished? Only by grace, only through his grace, by the unmerited favor of God. Someone said, grace is the spout that contains all of God's goodness. Uh, Someone wrote a long time ago, as far as serving the Lord, he said, grace cannot act where there is either deserving or ability. Grace does not help, it is absolute, it does all. I I love that line. Grace cannot act where there is deserving or ability. Everything has to be done by grace. It is the only way. And if we feel we deserve anything from God, there is no grace. Or if we feel we have the ability to do it, I can do this, Lord, there is no grace. And therefore, any work done is just wood, hay, and stubble. So back in Corinthians, Paul says, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Paul planted the seed. He shared the simple gospel. He came into Corinth and preached the gospel. And it just is proof. It shows that it is only God who can give the increase. Because Corinth, as we talked about before, was just this pit of, you know, debauchery and feeding the flesh was not only celebrated and accepted, it was actually their religion. It was, it was expected. And it didn't make any sense that anyone, to our human brains, it wouldn't make any sense or be logical that anybody would receive the gospel in Corinth. You know, if you lived back then and somebody said, why don't you go to Corinth to share the gospel, you would say, what's the use? You know, why? It, it's like impossible. But Paul went 
and people in Corinth believed what he said. He planted the seed, and God gave the increase. They received Christ and were justified by faith, and that immovable and eternal foundation was laid. And now Paul's saying, now you've got to build on it. He says, uh, I laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. And the question is, what happens in our lives after we get saved? You know, we're saved, we're secure. You can't lose your salvation. God will not take it away. All we do is believe what Jesus has done for us, and we're saved. And after that, the adventure begins. The foundation is Christ, who has given us eternal life. But eternal life is more than just length of days. It's more than just living forever. It's an adventure in the knowledge of God that never ends. God wants to sanctify us. We are to grow in our knowledge of God. We are to grow in grace. And we are to become the people God would have us to be. And we read in his word what God desires for our lives. What kind of people does God desire us to be? And how do we become the people that God would have us to be? How do we build on that foundation? How are we to accomplish the works that God has prepared beforehand, as the Bible says? We read what God desires in his word. And sometimes it can be overwhelming. We read what God wants, but the question is, how do we do it? How, how do we become that person? Uh, we know that it's not us who does it. It's, it's God who works in us to will and to do his will. But, you know, I, I think a good person to look at as far as how is this accomplished in our lives and how do we build on that foundation is Mary. Looking at this young teenage girl, probably between 14 and 16 years old, and you know we kind of tend to shy away from talking about Mary sometimes because we don't worship her and we don't pray to her, but she's a great example of faith. And she tells us how God's will is accomplished in our lives. The angel appears to Mary and gives her this great prophecy of what's going to happen in her life. You're going to have a child, and this child is going to be the Messiah. He's going to save his people from his sins. And Mary says, what? She doesn't understand it. She's overwhelmed by it. Uh, she's frightened by it. Uh, she can't comprehend in any way how this could be accomplished. You know, and sometimes when we read the word and we see what God wants me to be, and what he wants us to do, we can't comprehend how, it's, how, how can this be accomplished? How can I do this? But Mary gives us the answer. She shows us the way for God's will to be done in our lives. After the angel says everything to her, she doesn't fully understand, she doesn't comprehend, but she says, let it be done to me according to your word. And that's the answer. That's how we build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Let it be done to me according to your word. We receive from him. She had a willing heart. I read what God desires, and I want to do good, but it's like Paul says in Romans, I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. You know, I fail. You know, there's not a verse where God says, do this, be like this, that I don't fall short in. But, and this was the verse that we really focused on last time, 
And it's a very important verse. 1 John 5.14, it says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have our petitions that we've asked of him. Let it be done to me according to your word. That's our prayer. And John says here, our confidence is that when we pray that and we have that willing heart, it'll be done. It'll be done. But first you have to be in the word. To say, let it be done to me according to your word, we first have to be in the word and know what God desires and know the promises of God. And it will be done for a willing heart. Uh, turn quick to Mark chapter 10, please. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. It says, Now when they came to Jericho, as he went out of Jericho with his disciples in a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. So this guy is blind and he's a beggar. He can't work. There's no welfare system. There's no support system. So he's on the side of the road begging. This man had nothing. He was empty. Uh, he couldn't help himself. All the expectations that everyone had, he could not do. And it says, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. All that commotion that's surrounding Jesus. He's walking through this town and a crowd, a mass of people are around him. All these needs that are around him. People needing to be healed. People needing to be delivered. He's just surrounded. All the tumult that's around him. And yet a cry for mercy makes God stop. Dependence on the mercy of God is another thing building on that foundation, depending on the mercy of God. In Psalms, David wrote, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy. And in Psalm 147, it says, The Lord takes pleasure in those, and that's what we want. We want to please God. And he takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. That's building on the foundation of Christ. And then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? What a question. There is this blind man standing, this man with this great need, can't help himself, can't meet the expectations of the society that he's living in, and God says to him, what do you want me to do for you? It's sort of like when James and John came to him saying, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? you know, what, what if Jesus said that to you? What if, what if you wake up in the morning and you have this vision and Jesus is standing at the edge of your bed and he says, uh, happy Monday, what, what do you want me to do for you today? What would we say? The thing is, he does say that. He does say that to his children. What do you want me to do for you? 
Again, that verse, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we asked of him. Every morning, he asks us, what do you want me to do for you today? And it, it's not that he is our servant. And it's not that we ask amiss to spend it on our lusts, like James said. And it's not the health and wealth thing. It, it, it's that God desires that we live. He desires that he lives, that we live. And the only way that we can live is to receive from him. It's the only way we can live. So what a great way to start the day, being in fellowship with him, reading his word, meditating on his word, praying, knowing what God desires, and then praying, Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. And it will be. He's promised. He will give us these things. The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. You know, how do we build on that foundation? We believe what God says. That's how we build on the foundation. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. In Mark, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. You know, if I go out to Bristol Mountain and I point at Bristol Mountain and I say, be removed and be cast into the sea, nothing's going to happen. Uh, but there are other mountains in our lives that need to be removed. He says, therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Let it be done to me according to your word. We pray for it. We believe what he says and, and he, we receive those things. He gives them to us. There are other mountains, like he must increase and I must decrease. Whatever things you ask for when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. In verse 11, back in Corinthians, Paul says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul would also say in Corinthians, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ, and him crucified. No philosophy, no apologetics, no oratory, all that is good stuff. But he says, I don't want to know anything about in, among you except Jesus and him crucified. There is no other foundation for life than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is Christ alone. There is no life outside of him. And we tell people, do not leave this world without Christ. We need strength to do the work. If you have a foundation and you have to build a house on it, you need the strength to build that house. We need strength every day. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. When Jesus sent out his disciples two by two and they went out and ministered and they came back and they said, Lord, this has been great. We're casting out demons, we're healing sick people, we're raising the dead, and they were just so thrilled with what the Lord was accomplishing, gave, gave them the power to do these things. And Jesus said to them, do not rejoice in these things, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You know, there are a lot of things that give us joy in life, and we can appreciate them and be thankful for them. But there's only one thing that we should ever rejoice in, 
And it's not our work, and it's not our service for the Lord. It's that your name is written in the book of life. That's what we rejoice in. Verse 12, he says, Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, if you build a house, you have to have a firm foundation, and then you build on it. And if you use good materials and have good workmanship, the house stands. If not, it falls. Uh, The foundation is still there, but you're out in the cold. So what happens, what what does our life become after we're saved? Romans, Paul says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, and like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Walk in newness of life. First Timothy, he says, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. Gold, silver, precious stones, these are all things that last. Wood, hay, and stubble are things that are temporary and don't last. Colossians, Paul says, if then you were raised with Christ, when he died, we died. When he rose, we rose from being dead in sin. In Ephesians, he says, even when you were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He says, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth, not on the wood, hay, and stubble, the temporary things. Everything that we see Hear, feel, touch, experience on earth is temporary. Even the good stuff, the things that can't be seen, are eternal. And Paul says, set your mind on those things. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And that's another thing about building on that foundation, is always looking forward to the glorious return of Jesus Christ building on that foundation, having that sure, glorious hope of the return of Christ, the reality of it. When Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer, the first part of it with praise, hallowed be thy name. And then the next thing he said in this model prayer was, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, encouraging people to be looking forward to his return and that time when he would reign on earth with a rod of iron. A theocracy is when God rules. God rules over a nation. And there are people who are trying today to establish a theocracy. There are different religions that are trying to establish a theocracy. There are Christians who are trying to establish a theocracy. You know, if we can pass legislation and we can get rid of this, and if we can take over the government, we can have a theocracy. We can get things ready for Jesus to come back. There has only been one theocracy on earth ever and that's the one that God offered to the Jews he gave them his laws his statutes and it was and if they had followed them if you read the law and the statutes of God what you have is the perfect society because it's total dependence on God it's a nation trusting God and letting God take care of them Uh, you read Samuel God fought for them uh, and that one party gave them a huge victory over the Philistines and miraculously saved them and delivered them. And the first thing the people do right after that is they come to Samuel and they say, we want a king. 
We don't want God to rule over us anymore. We want a, a human king. We want to be like the other nations around us. And we want our king to fight our battles. A, a total rejection of this perfect society, this perfect life that God would have for them. Tragic. And, and the thing is, we can have a theocracy now in our own individual lives. Uh, we have been translated into the kingdom of God. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are no longer citizens of this world. We're, we live in the kingdom of God. Our king provides for us. Our king fights our battles. Our king rules and reigns over us. We have the glorious privilege and joy of, in our own individual lives, living under a theocracy, letting God take care of us. And the truth is, it's always been a theocracy. Because no matter what the world does, and no matter how people fail in the flesh, God has always been on the throne. And God is always sovereign. He always rules. In building the foundation, our prayer is, Lord, rule over me. We have that desire. If that foundation is laid out in our lives, we have that desire to joyfully serve our king. Verse 5. He says, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Walk in newness of life. A willing heart that desires more and more of Jesus will build a lasting house on that foundation. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you, Lord, for that foundation that can't be moved, uh, that can't be destroyed, that will be forever, the foundation of your son, Jesus. And we just pray to live on that foundation, Lord, and to build on that foundation, Lord, trusting in you, trusting in your mercy, receiving from you every day, praying in faith. When we see those things, Lord, that you desire in our lives, we know that it is your desire, your will to give them to us, Lord. So when we pray, help us to believe, Lord, we pray, and to rejoice in you alone. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you, and pray for your grace this week. Be glorified. Fill our hearts, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.